Chapter Nineteen of Tom Playfair or Making a Start by Francis J. Finn S. J. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Chapter Nineteen, in which Tom and Keenan hold a council of war. Hey, you fellows over there! You needn't try to dodge work. Come on now and haul snow. Harry, for goodness sake, go and show Conway how to roll that snowball of his here. If he goes on that way, he won't have it here in time for next Christmas. I say, John Donnell, stir up John Pitch, won't you? There he is, fooling around in a puddle of water with his old rubber boots, when he ought to be hard at work. Such were the quick and various remarks that came from the mouth of Tom Playfair, some few days after his return from St. Louis whither he had gone with father and aunt to spend his Christmas holidays. The events of the November night had made Tom extremely popular among his playfellows. All boys are at bottom generous-hearted. Selfishness is the crust of years, and the countless mean acts of certain boys are in nine cases out of ten the result of thoughtlessness, and in the tenth case the fruit of false ideals and defective training. So in the general chorus of praise for Tom there was not a single dissenting voice. For some days past there had been talk in the small yard of building a snow fort, and of inviting the boys of the large yard to attempt its capture. Various details had been discussed, until finally, with the rejection of some and the acceptance of others, it was resolved to carry the matter into effect. "'Who'll be captain?' queried Conway. "'Keenan,' suggested Pitch. "'He was captain last year.' "'Not this time,' said George Keenan. "'One turn is good enough for me.' I like to play second fiddle now and then. It seems to me that our captain for this year ought to be Tom Playfair. Playfair, Playfair, was re-echoed on all sides, and with the least little touch of a blush on the part of Tom, and wonder's unanimity on the part of his playfellows, our hero was installed as captain of the small boy's snow fort. With his usual energy, Tom set about constructing the ramparts of snow. His orders went flying right and left. He was an active superintendent. He inspected everything personally, and in doubtful points consulted the experience of Donald and Keenan. "'I say, John,' he said, addressing Donald, when matters were well on their way, "'how long did you fellows hold the fort against the big boys last year?' "'About eleven or twelve minutes. They stole a march on us last year. Before dinner we had got over five hundred snowballs ready. While we were in eating, some of the big boys stole them. That took all the spirit out of our fellows.' By the way, we ought to get even with them for that trick. I'm going to try to think out some schemes. Yes, Tom, last year they put us to rout in eleven minutes. Pshaw, that won't go. We're not going to allow them to clean us out in that style this year. Aren't you now? I don't know about that, put in Keenan. Some of those big chaps are just awful at throwing a snowball. Once Carmody pegged a snowball that took me square on the nose. It came in so hard that I thought at first that my nose was driven through my head, and would come sticking out on the other side. Yes, chimed in John, and once last winter, when Ryan hit me in the eye, I saw so many moons that I thought I was a lunatic. This excellent classical pun, excellent because so extremely bad, was lost upon Tom. It was lost upon George, too, who at that moment was seemingly absorbed in thought. Tom, he said suddenly, I've an idea. Come over by the playroom. I think you're just the boy that can carry it out. There was inspiration in George's face. The two walked away together and held a long, animated, 
but whispered consultation. Presently they returned to John's side. Now, the question is, began Tom, to find out who are the best throwers in the big yard. Let's see, said Donald. There's Ryan and Carmody and McNeff and McCoy. He uses ice balls, too. He's a mean fellow. And Drew and Will Cleary and Ziegler. That's all I can remember. As George enumerated each name, he checked it off on his fingers and blinked his eyes. You left out two of the best, put in John Donnell, Miller and Arthur. Just nine, said Tom as he walked away. Donnell perceived that something was on foot. His curiosity was aroused. Say, George, what scheme are you and Tom hatching? We're going to steal all the snow in the big yard, so to deprive the big fellows of ammunition, was George's grave reply. Oh, come on, what's the idea? We're going to make a bonfire in the fort, so as to keep the boys warm and prevent the snow from freezing too hard. John aimed a blow at George, which would have taken that young wag in the ribs, had he not ducked promptly. With a growl on the part of John and a laugh on the part of George, the conference ended. Meantime, the work went on with ever-increasing energy, so that as the sweet notes of the Angelus bell announced the hour of noon, and the boys with bared heads paused from their work to renew the angelic salutation, one of the sweetest memorial customs of St. Mars, they bowed their faces and breathed their words in the presence of a fort graceful in its way and strong as boyish skill could make it. It had been arranged that the storming of the fort would begin precisely at one o'clock. Contrary to the general custom on holidays, there was much talking and little eating at dinner, and even the advent of the favorite pie aroused but little enthusiasm. Truth compels me to say that not a few of the boys shortened their customary after-dinner visit to the Blessed Sacrament on this occasion. We are dealing with boys, not with angels. While twenty or thirty of the stronger lads busied themselves in inspecting and strengthening the fortification, the others gave themselves to the manufacturing and storing away of snowballs. These they placed within the entrenchments, which I forgot to mention, were situated in the angle formed by a wing and a portion of the main body of the old church building. Precisely at fifteen minutes to one o'clock, Tom, assuming an air of coolness which bellied his real feelings, presented himself to the second prefect of the large yard. Mr. Beakley, he said politely, raising his cap, could you please tell me who is the captain of the big boys? Captain? repeated Mr. Beakey, banteringly. They don't need a captain to rout out you little fellows. Maybe they think they don't, Mr. Beakey, but I hope they'll change their minds. Well, if there isn't any captain, could I please have a talk with some of the leaders? Certainly, not the least objection, answered the prefect in an encouraging tone, for he perceived that Tom was strangely timid and embarrassed. And, eh, uh, eh, uh, Mr. Beakey, continued Tom, blushing and hanging his head, could I please have the key of your classroom, so as we can go up there and fix our plans? It won't take more than two minutes. The prefect handed Tom the required key. Oh, thank you, Mr. Beakey. And please, sir, will you ring the bell for the assault to begin as soon as I come down? Yes. Anything else on your mind? Yes, sir. Just one thing more. I want to see Carmody, Ryan, McNeff, McCoy, Drew, Will Cleary, Ziegler, Arthur, and Miller. Are those the leaders? I think so, sir, answered Tom modestly. You have their names, Pat. Probably you'll find most of them in the reading room, and a few in the playroom. Tom sought them out at once. They were not a little amused at his proposition to hold a meeting, but good-naturedly yielded and followed him over to the classroom building. 
I say, said Tom, as they trudged up the stairs, how long do you expect us to hold the fort? If you hold it for five minutes, you'll be doing well, volunteered Miller with a grin. Perhaps you may hold out for fifteen minutes or so, remarked Carmody, with a view to encouraging the young captain. Well, I'll tell you what, said Tom, if we stand it out half an hour, will you agree in the name of the big fellows to give up the fighting and allow the victory to us? Of course. I should say so. Yes, sir, came the general chorus, and as they spoke, Carmody winked solemnly at Ryan. Will Cleary put his finger to his eye, and a general grin passed from face to face. Well, said the object of this subdued and ill-concealed merriment, as he unlocked the door of Mr. Beakey's classroom, if you're walk-in, we'll settle everything in less than no time. Tom stood holding the door open with the key in the lock, waiting in all innocence and politeness for the wily leaders of the large yard to enter. All entered, still grinning. Suddenly, Tom sprang from the room, and the door banged after him, while coming close upon the slam grated the only sound of the key turning in the lock, followed by the quick patter of light feet down the stairs. The hard hitters of the large yard were prisoners. End of chapter 19 Recording by Maria Therese